when we invaded Iraq. The media, almost as if it was describing a sporting event, called it shock and awe. It was actually a phrase used to excite us, to get us juiced up. War with Iraq. Now reporting, Peter Jennings. Baghdad is being hit. The, this is this is like nothing we've seen before. If this is this is uh, this is shocking, uh, and this is awe-inspiring. Clearly, the person could have no idea what the word awe means. Awe is when you see a child being born, you experience real kissing. Watch a flower go from seed to plant. That's awesome. The indiscriminate mass murder of people is not awesome. In Afghanistan, a major attack is underway by U.S. military forces. We're about to get the details on all of that from the President of the United States. Good afternoon. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. These carefully targeted actions are designed to disrupt the use of Afghanistan as a terrorist base of operations. That's former U.S. President George W. Bush addressing the American public in 2001. After 9-11, I wanted to take clowns to Afghanistan because there was a lot of negativity about Afghanistan and I love people. I don't want enemies. What I did after our hospital closed was the same thing, only I did it on the road by initiating clowning as medicine and love. And most of it was being close, looking in the eyes, making a funny face and seeing the joy in the people. I love you, Afghanistan. I love that you allowed us to come there and play. Let's go forward with love and fun. How's it going today, Patcher? Lars, it's the best day of my life. So you woke up this morning and what happened? Well, I I knew that this was the best day of my life. Hey, sir, how's your day going? You know, thanks for asking. It's the best day of my life. Welcome to the best day of my life. Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination with Patch and Lars Adams. I'm producer Rainbow Valentine, and in this episode, we hear about how Patch uses clown as a weapon against war, alleviating the suffering of all war's victims, from civilians to soldiers. Thanks for listening. Here's Lars and his dad, Patch. In in 2002, you took a clown trip to Afghanistan. Right. We went clowns to war. Do you remember how that trip came to be? Well, I think it came to be partly because either whether people asking if we would be interested in going there or you just see that your country goes to war and that it's wrong. I grew up in a warrior family. Why not take love and fun into the enemy? And I think the Afghanis loved it. And I think the people that went loved it. So there is a movie of the clown trip to Afghanistan called Clowning in Kabul. Right very powerful. It really shows what it's like to bring clowns into any space. And despite the level of suffering anybody's encountered in that day or in their life, 
oftentimes there is a desire to be in the moment and to remind ourselves that we're still capable of, of playing, laughing, connecting. One, we had a very select team of great clown friends. And when you have a very, you know, that may be the most important part of it. When you have, because normally clown trips are a hodgepodge of, okay, people sign up. But with clowning in Kabul, we brought a lot of our close clown friends. There's definitely a clown intoxication that comes when you know you're going to be with these clowns where you've clowned with all of them and had a great time with them, that in a way you feel safe to go into war. I don't think we were ever shot at. I don't remember anybody really talking about feeling threatened or a little scared to be there. Did you uh, have an armed ex-escort? Uh-huh. If I remember correctly, the you flew in on an Italian military plane? Because I think Ginevra helped organize the trip, is that right? Or Probably so. I'm guessing if it was the Italian military planes, and I know Ginevra was on that trip. Lars wanted more details, so he called Ginevra, the Italian clown we met in the previous episode. Auntie Ginevra. Hey, nipote. Nephew. <laughs> Nephew, yes? Yes. Ginevra is one of my clown aunties who was a part of raising me as a clown in so many different scenarios in different countries. I met you first time. I think uh, we went to Sri Lanka after the tsunami, big tsunami. You was there. And the Peru before. I have this memory of Lars skinny boys, big shoes, jumping, 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 and this beautiful face, smile, and uh, tease people, and uh, make little girl uh, look at Lim like, oh, so beautiful. Tell me about Afghanistan. Okay, uh, we were in Russia. It was uh, 2000, uh, 2002. And uh, one of my friends from Italy called me and said, Hey, are you in Russia with Pat Chadans? And I said, Yes. And we are thinking about uh, go to Afghanistan. Uh, you know, the situation now is getting better. The Taliban are not anymore in Kabul because the U.S. military and force make an action. And so the, the town Kabul is uh, getting liberated. And so it's kind of easy to go there. And uh, we was thinking to uh, organize a, a clown tour. And so I was very surprised in a war zone. But then in five seconds, I said yes. And they asked me to ask Patch. And I asked Patch, and he said yes. And Wildman, Patch's brother, said yes. We start to organize uh, the team. So people from Italy, from many countries arrived and said yes. Many people said no, because it was uh, still danger to go there. But really, we don't even think about, oh my God, maybe it will be very dangerous. So everything was very... Uh, not only exciting, but I was thinking, I want to do something. I think about people, about children, about 
the situation I, I never went in a country war before. So we start in 15 days from Italy and it was very hard. It was very beautiful. If I think I, that many, many stories make me still cry because war is a terrible things and especially for people. Is not, uh, you know, bad people kill bad people, bam, 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 finish. A lot of civilians get killed. So you flew in a Italian military plane to oh, Afghanistan, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. How many clowns were on the plane? Let's say 20. They're not only from Italy, but from many countries. We get together, include Patch and Wildman. We get together in Rome. And we start from um, military airport, and the plane is very funny because it's uh, the plane where you put you, the things for the war, like a, a weapon, weapon, and a car, and the food, and we bring a lot of ton of medical things and food, ton, a lot of food, and we were squeezed inside in this incredible big plane, like. Big house with the, with the wing. We arrived and it was really strange and really funny in a way. And clown arrived in a country full of military and people and dust and all around everything broken. House, everything broken. And this bunch of people from many other countries, many different countries arrived. Very colorful costume and it was the arrival was unbelievable Ginevra I mean they're old buddies that, that were there and I love that my brother was there with me engaged in his way we're going to toggle between conversations with Lars and Ginevra Lars and Patch and Lars and Patch's brother Wildman here's Wildman the worst part was flying 12 hours in a sling chair in an Italian military plane. But once we got there, it was one party after another. And it was the end of winter, beginning of spring, it was cold. The whole hospital smelled like kerosene. It's powerful smell. That was the only heat they had. Two or three kids in a bed. The place was filthy. Cats running around. The mothers were the nurses, there were no nurses, the mothers were the nurses. And as a man, I had to be very careful. You know, that was just after the Taliban where everybody had to have a beard. And of course I wore the, the local clothes. I wanted to open up to the people. So I would walk in a shop and I would, and you can tell if they don't want to, it's like when you're a clown, if you see somebody who's really afraid of a clown, you back off. 90% of the people wanted to talk to me and I wanted to talk to them. Also in that time, it was the, a kind of window where we we get into uh, one month. A lot of journalists was there because the war was finished for or suspended. So Muslim country, we get prepared. We women, so we prepare everything, clothing, cl- special clown clothes. You know, like a burka, <laughs> clown burka. But you know what? We use very rare 
because we were always invited into a space like orphanage, like hospital. It was no needed to wear special clothes. But of course, we was needed to respect their culture. And this is very important when you travel abroad with clown. It's not because you have a red nose. Oh, I'm clown. I can do whatever you want. I'm cool. Okay. And also some people left after a few days because you feel, you know, you are very enthusiastic, but enthusiasm is a wonderful feeling. But then when you are in a situation where you need to manage and to ask yourself again, what is my intention? What I want to do? Of course, many people, some people was scared. You was feeling everywhere death, everywhere. You was smelling. You was, uh, the feeling of death was everywhere. And sometimes you was feeling the bomb from far away. It was scary. When we traveled to one other Genostratus hospitals, it was way in the little arm of Afghanistan. And we had, I had to, I was appointed, I had to go to the little American camp that had sandbags, I mean, army, and say, What's the situation? This rain is fine. So finally they said, yes, we can go. A day's travel. But wherever you went, there were red and white painted stones or something red and something white. And when we stopped to take a leak, you had to stay on the road because it was red. Because if you go beyond the red, landmines. And landmines were everywhere. The places that were cleared were white. And you know, often what was the red? Coca-Cola cans. Red, you don't go beyond. What do you have red? If you don't have stones to paint red, you don't have any paint. When you have all these Coca-Cola cans, you put them, they're red. Any specific moments that were so dangerous you were afraid for your life? Oh, yes. Also in the night, it was not so easy to sleep in the night sometime. But again, we were so busy every day. You know, we was so tired uh, in the evening. Were you scared? Oh, yeah. It was scary. It worked. You know, we were under the wing of Italian military force. Every evening, they come to our house. They was uh, renting a house, apartment, and we was living all together, sleeping on the floor. And so the military force every night was checking on us, counting. Okay, you are all together. Yeah, yeah. We are in a countering war and we can really can do we have the opportunity to do a great job here. Here, people need everything. What means they need everything? Everything, exactly everything. Food, water. So you, you need to go to the do- doctor, uh, disinfection, every single thing. Uh, the role of Pat, the rule of Patch was to, to give us strength and courage to keep going. But mainly Patch was clowning as usually do. He was clowning. We went once to a restaurant. We, we brought all our food and cooked there. But we went out once and we didn't eat everything. You can, clearly people are hungry out there. Kids are hungry. One time you go out there and offer a kid something, we never did that again. Why, you might ask. Because the other kids would come up and fight and beat the living tar out of them and people would get hurt because you didn't have enough food for all the kids. So you couldn't give food to any kid unless you wanted to get the kicked out of them. But I discovered 
a little secret. I mean, it was 36,000 Afghanis to the dollar. Now they cooked naan, which is their flatbread. They had little naan shops everywhere. So for, you know, five bucks, you could get a stack of, a stack of bread so everybody could have one and you could pass them out. I mean, they're always, and then smiles, and there were no hugs. Did I, did I hug some of the men? I think maybe I got a couple of hugs, but you respect our culture. Well, I remember very well, we celebrate March 8th in Kabul, Afghanistan, after many, many years of terrible condition for women, for women in, in the sense, women was forbidden to go out from house, even to help other women for, you know, delivery baby, or they were in a, in a very, very difficult situation. And the first time after a few years of, I can tell, segregation, they celebrate March 8th, Woman Day, and it was such an incredible moment. We were in a big movie theater. Before it was a movie theater, but it was completely, ceiling was completely like a big cathedral without seal, completely broken. And uh, lot of women there in a military dress because many of the many of these women were uh, military army many of them was were mother many of them were teacher never have occasion before to get together in such a big place all together we were there as a clown with our friend clown patch was there and they asked us what are you doing here? What is your job at home, etc., etc. But the feeling, my feeling was, I feel very small. I see this woman like a giant. How strong, how incredible the energy. You know, after so much sufferance, they are there between women. How oh, many hugs? So strong hug. I'm not so strong, but when I receive a hug from an Afghan woman, I feel really like this big. So it was magic. I never ever imagined to meet so much suffering. Never, ever. Impossible. Some of the clowns, I was lucky to be one of them, was invited into the home of one of our Afghan translators. Now you got to realize the sewer system wasn't working. The place was bombed out. And the place was bombed out not because Americans bombed it. This was the civil war between the Taliban. That's why the whole place was bombed out. So we walked to this guy's house. It was stinky and everything was monochromatic. We walked in the house and it's spick and span. Everything nice, shelves, books. We sat down and the older sister went around with the dish. We all washed our hands. We had a very delicious supper, speaking with the head of the household and his male counterparts. I mean, my heart goes out to them. 25 years of war. But they were loving to us. I mean, to us, and we were strangers. One funny uh, father-son story. When Patch was going to Afghanistan before he went, you know, I I was worried. I was scared. I knew he was going into a war zone. And so in true clown fashion, before Patch left for the trip, he was like, okay, son, 
let's go have a meal together. You know, if something happens to me, it will be my, it will be our last meal together. So we can go anywhere you want to go. And I always chose my favorite childhood restaurant, Taco Bell. So we went and had our potentially last meal together at the Taco Bell before he went to Afghanistan. <laughs> Were you worried uh, that I was there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I hadn't been on a clown trip at that point of my life. You were going into a war zone. I was like 12, 13, you know, I was young. I was like 14 years old. Uh, so it was scary. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to come home. And at the same time, like, well, at least we had that taco meal at Taco Bell. <laughs> Um, but then, you know, as I got older and we got to go on a trip to the Syrian refugee camps in 2014 together, and that was another trip like the Afghanistan trip where we chose who came on the trip. Um, it wasn't open to anybody with no clown experience. So we take a clown from theater, clown from circus, and we, we come to the countering war. We are pioneer. Patch was in, um, invite us to come back to the point why we are here. So he gave us a lot of uh, strength and also energy to believe in ourselves as we are. Maybe some are more like this or like this is not important. And we was needed to decide very clearly what what we want to do in front of so much sufferance. And it's not only Afghanistan, and it's not only about me in Afghanistan, how good I was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's about what we want to do in front of this much sufferance. So we need to decide. I'm also a doctor who has worked all these years to try to build a free hospital and it's not yet built. And so I heard about these 6,000 vets killing themselves a year. And I thought if I could take these vets on a clown trip that they would not then want to kill themselves. And I think that's kind of happened. I mean, how crazy is it to take 10 veterans that you don't know that are suicidal and to take them. But they weren't all suicidal. I'm telling you, they were troubled. That's why we raised the funds to take them, is that they were... That's better. Troubled, yes. PTSD, traumatized, yes. I'm sure some of them suicidal, yes. But just the the shock and awe words, uh, it's, it's, there's more nuance than that. I believe I can ask Carl about uh, experiences on the clown vet trip today when I interview him as well. Lars is talking about his uncle Carl, the Yale-trained psychiatrist we met in episode six, who wore Patch's toilet costume to the mall. Because he was there, right? I think so. And I mean, you know, here's a really tall guy like me in a really fruitcake outfit and, and a psychiatrist. And so it's fun having that kind of person on the clown vet trip. Here's Carl and Lars. Did you also go on the vet trip? Or yeah. one of the vet trips? yeah. Do you care to share any of your... That was the first time, you know, we have traveled together, 
you know, refugee camps, Jordan, Syrian refugees, our international work in Peru. And then there was a, a vet trip, the first vet trip. It's got to be four or five years ago now. Uh, and it was the first time, uh, I think, that Gesundheit had ever targeted a specific group. And uh, with the help of people in the VA system, this thing emerged. I mean, people who carry around an enormous amount of trauma that hardens the heart. You know, you tend to see the world from, from that perspective. One comes with a certain closed-heartedness, protectiveness, a self-defense. Uh, and the expectation, you know, climb trips are all the same. You're going to come, dress up, dress up before you get to the airport, uh, get into your nose, get into the carotid. And when you do that, it immediately changes. You know, it's like my first time in the toilet, man. It, it immediately changes you into some piece of yourself that often does not see the light. Anybody can do it. You've got to be willing to kind of open your heart and kind of allow it to flow. And so for many of these vets, you know, coming and working with kids who were, I mean, seriously disabled, some kids who were not, and simply living in condemned orphanages without parents, doing it in the streets and in shelters, and but seeing a whole slice of humanity, you know, in which the focus is only they're connecting with them at this level. Mm. Uh, that kind of heart awakening and the profundity of getting in touch, you know, changing your behavior. And these people, men and women, had been treated, given meds, diagnosed, uh, had been on long-term treatment protocols, you know. And it doesn't change the behavior, just talking about it. You know, sometimes you have to just change the behavior, not think about it. Just take a risk and change it. Then you can think about you know, my God, you know, how come I was so close to it before? And that's what clowning does. Mm. And it's what Patch opens people up to, right? To feeling that connection. And, you know, he's touched all of us who uh, have been involved with him over the years to bring out that piece of ourselves that allows us to, uh, to be that in balance, that open. That what you're feeling is really what you're saying. Where you are in the moment is just where you need to be. Back to Patch and Lars. What led you to want to do a clown vet trip? Okay, it was very easy. I heard that 6,000 vets a year kill themselves. I remember how the Korean War really, in a way, destroyed my father's personality. I refused the Vietnam War, was threatened a lot because of it. One of the people that came on the trip was a soldier I met a long time ago. And it was really maybe him that inspired me to go to the trouble to raising the funds to bring a set of vets because I ached for his stories and Mike O'Connell is his name. Tell us about Mike. Well. He was one of the vets that I met a long time ago. I, I can't tell you exactly when, but years before the clown vet trips, and we stayed in touch with each other. We liked each other. I knew that he had been suicidal. Uh, I had kind of met parts of his family. And so when the clown vet trips started, I think he was the first to sign up because he trusted me. and had softened in his suffering because of our long contact with each other. When we went on the clown trip, I was like, you know, these were military guys, so I was kind of like the sergeant saying, 
Okay, we're now gonna go to an orphanage. Who here can burp on command? Who can fart on command? You know, a lot of them were strong. A few of them were women. Didn't Mike, after the clown trip, start to wear clown clothes in his daily life? I think he did more, more of that. It's time that I reconnect with him. So upon trying to get in touch with Patch's clown vet friend, Mike O'Connell, we sadly learned he had passed away. But his psychologist, Dr. Mark Kane, was eager to talk to us about Mike's journey, inspired by Patch, from PTSD vet to humanitarian clown warrior. Uh, my name is Mark, clown name Marcos uh, Kane. I'm a licensed psychologist uh, with a degree in clinical, cross-cultural, and social psychology. Well, I met Mike um, in 2008 when I showed up in my office and his truck was in my parking lot where he had slept all night in his truck. He'd driven up from Florida where he'd gone through his third divorce and had his, uh, all of his belongings in the truck and he was homeless and trying to connect with his estranged daughter. And so I invited him in, we started talking and then he became a client of mine through a contract with that, that I had from the Grand Rapids Vet Center working with uh, combat veterans in rural Michigan that didn't have resources close by. And Mike joined to go to Vietnam in uh, 1967 as a married man with two children. He had a deferment times three. And his favorite teacher in high school was a uh, World War II veteran and Mike felt that uh, the war in Vietnam was a righteous war and he joined and left his family. And uh, the war blew him up, blew his psyche up, blew his soul up, blew his whole worldview up. I got to be a part of Mike's journey re reconnecting his soul. And that journey happened long before Mike met Patch. Just as I think Patch's journey of going on a combat vet's clown trip to Guatemala in 2016 was a long journey from Patch growing up, being blown up by his World War II and Korean War uh, combat veteran dad. You just don't have combat PTSD and then go clowning for a week with Patch and your shit's uh, turned uh, into compost. What exactly is PTSD? Have you ever been a, in a lightning storm where your electricity has been blown up by a, light, a lightning uh, hitting the house? If you think of our, of our nervous system as a 12-volt system, like your car is, and your brain's electric, your cells communicating to each other, and all of a sudden, you are taken out of your 12-volt environment and you're put in a combat situation or a traumatic situation where the electricity entering your system isn't 12 volts anymore, it's 1,000 volts. It blows up your electrical grid. It changes how you can function, including sometimes you can't even function and you just sit catatonic. So think of yourself as a lobotomized person where your frontal lobes and your neocortex that makes you human all of a sudden is shattered by electrical grid explosion in your brain. Then you're just living in your reptilian brain, the brain that makes you want to take a shit, wants to kill anybody that attacks you. You grunt, you shit, you eat, you fart, and you don't do anything else because your human part of you is gone. But PTSD lobotomizes you electrically, hopefully temporarily. And what clowning does is it sprays 
a can of silicone over your brain so that those shattered electrical grid connections can spark and provide 12 volt system again so that you are a human being again. And when you saw Mike in his tutu, he had his frontal lobes back on and he's a human being and he is not a robot shooting people with a 50 caliber a machine gun and running over them with his uh, tank uh, when his frontal lobes are gone and he's uh, in a three-day battle and he's killed 500 people. Uh, after I started working with Mike, he introduced me to his colonel who spoke out against the war. Uh, he was, his colonel is Colonel Haponsky, and Haponsky was with his soldiers in battle with Mike. He wasn't in a helicopter above watching them get uh, napalm by their own planes. Uh, he was down in the Michelin plantation in Vietnam. And we went to that battle site, the colonel and Mike and I, and we burned incense and we said prayers. And Mike sang his song about his buddies that he lost there. And his frontal lobes were on. I think that's the most powerful memory of Mike. Mike used his expertise as a uh, internet junkie nerd who put together a web page and got all the resources of all those combat veterans digitized and got all of them on disability. And that was Mike. He protected them in battle and he protected them after the war. Mike has always been a leader uh, and he became the hardest ass clown and Patch decided that the hardest ass was uh, going to be under his wing. And I think Mike had as much transition Patch into his worldview as Patch did into Mike's worldview. How did becoming a clown help or change Mike? He had a different uh, uniform to wear. Mike wore his khakis, he wore his uh, Vietnam unofficial uniform and that cavalry hat all the time. And when we went to Guatemala... Patch took the clown vets to Guatemala on a humanitarian clown trip. He didn't dress up. He took us clown stuff. I had to go buy his clown stuff at the Goodwill and I brought it in and in one of our therapy sessions we played dress up and he struggled to put this new uniform on and he agreed to take it with him in his Vietnam duffel bag but until we got to O'Hare Airport and he saw Patch and the other vets that went with on our first trip, Mike then felt more comfortable to transition into his clown uniform. It was ex external and internal. I think you've seen the video of Mike um, in his pink tutu directing the traffic in Guatemala City. And that was right after we had, were in a very powerful experience in a psychiatric uh, forensic hospital where Mike got to um, experience the transformation of love even when he couldn't speak Spanish. He was blowing kisses, he was blowing bubbles, he was being transformed by the power of the red nose, and that gave Mike permission to be on point for his new platoon. And his new platoon wasn't in khakis, they were in red noses. How did 
Mike die? We were in the midst of uh, COVID. He was dealing with severe Agent Orange, sugar diabetes type 2. He had bladder cancer. He had all sorts of um, terrible infections. Mike's fiance called me and said they're heading to the hospital. Mike is dying. And uh, 24 hours later, he was dead. It was an infection that was running throughout his body. But his whole system shut down with shock. So, Dr. Marco, how has clowning impacted vets with PTSD? I'm semi-retired now. The only time I engage with combat veterans now is when I'm clowning. I had over 500 combat vets on my caseload, and... The statistics are that 22 combat veterans a day are killing themselves. More Vietnam vets have killed themselves from suicide than they were killed in Vietnam. And of those 500, all of them were alive when I turned in the file. I don't like the name clown vets. And Mike didn't like the name clown vets. What are we, veterinarians, he'd say? He says, we are warrior clowns. Mike gave us that name, and we know our work as working with warrior clowns. We're, we're different. We're doing something positive, and it's outgoing. You know, chicks like things that are outgoing. And they like when you're cool with kids, you know what I mean, and we could be goofy. They like guys with big ears like that. What about you? You're like a pig. You squeal like a pig. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We're just guys. We're from different generations. And you know what? It's just, it's nice to be with like-minded people and we can just hang out and have fun. You know that? That's an excerpt from the Clown Vets documentary. Rather, Clown Warriors. Was it healing for you, Patch, to help heal the vets since your dad had been a vet? I don't know about, quote, healing me, except to say that how my father was damaged by war and and growing up in the military made me an activist and made me want to be useful. And so I can say it was thrilling that I, I was the pusher for the clown vet trips and I was thrilled to do it. I was completely confident that the clowns that were going on them were all friends and who were all tickled to be going. And so I knew that the vets didn't have a chance. I knew they would be so sucked into the friendship. I think a unique part of our clown trips is that you didn't have to have ever done any clowning. You didn't have to ever have taken a class. Most of the people who came on trips had never done it. And it was amazing. And we saw that with the suicidal veterans that in the costume, in a climate of goofiness, The clowns were goofy. And so in 2014, we went to Jordan uh, to visit the Syrian refugee camps there in displacement. And the clown bus just rolls in and we just, the clowns empty out. The people didn't know clowns were coming. And we just fill the space with like music, balloons, dancing, and joy. And the people were coming out of their tents and out of their little abodes and immediately joined us. There was no hesitation. They joined us in dancing. They joined us in playing. They got in Patch's giant pair of underwear. 
they brought out their own instruments that they had and played music with our other musicians. I can remember Patch holding a kid. There's photos of this moment. Patch holding a kid who had just like lost his whole family and was being nurtured by the, the community there. And you, you can sense the suffering that these people are going through and the hopelessness that they have no idea where they're going or what they're doing. What, what, what's going to happen to them and yet they jumped right into his underpants they they were so eager to just dance and play with these clowns and i don't speak their language and it was just a pure splash of color and light and silliness and then the clowns back on the bus to the next place to put faces to this conflict of who it's affecting was really humbling you see it on TV, it's it's hard to really feel and, and know what these people are like and what and to just put a face to it and then to play with them and dance with them, it's so powerful. And what a gift. And I for me the clown trips, I started to learn early on that no matter how much I gave, it always felt like I was getting more than I gave. Jump on in. Water is mine. Mine is yours. Yours is mine. And I think this is a magical part of the clown trips and how I came to clowning. Because of your philosophy that anybody has the capacity to be a clown, when they put on a clown costume and they embrace uh, connecting with others and being playful, that taught me to find the clown in others. That's basically our goal as clowns, is to bring the clown out of others. Connecting with people everywhere, without speaking their language, in shared spontaneity and playfulness and fun and curiosity, showed me that I, we have the capacity to connect with anybody in, share, in, in our shared humanity and that we can have a deep loving moment with somebody whose name I don't remember to have so many friends that I've been clowning with for 20 years that have seen me grow and that we've gotten to experience levels of play that are unfathomable unless you were there. You know, there may be people who want to be clowns that think you have to do it this way and exactly this way and to be the Gestapo of clowning, where we're giving a story that anyone can do it and that if you do it with buddies, it can be an ecstatic experience. And I have to say, Lars, that clowning with you could be as great a moment of my life as any I know. Jump on in, water is mine, mine is yours. In our final episode, we find out if Patch wins the Nobel Peace Prize. As of this recording, we have no idea. And if you're listening after October 8th, 2021, obviously you know. But it's still going to be interesting. We also hear from Patch's life partner, Susan. And Lars tells us what it was like growing up with Patch Adams as his dad. It's going to be fun. I know that editing this has been great for my mental health. And I hope that listening to this has been good for your mental health. Because it is the best day of my life. Have you guys tried saying that? It, it actually works. <laughs>
It's the Best Day of My Life is produced by Rainbow Valentine Studios. Produced by Lars and Patch Adams, Rainbow Valentine, and Thessaly Lerner. Written and edited by Thessaly Lerner. Scored, mixed, and mastered by Ryan Reeves. Narrated by Rainbow Valentine. Music by Hope for a Golden Summer, The Ukulele, Will Collins, and Noodle McDoodle. Logo by Jason Holtschneider. Thanks to Derek Busby, Luke McLaughlin, our partners at Pantheon Podcasts, and you, our audience. So here we are at episode nine, and we've made all of these for free because we think peace work is cool and awesome. Now, if you, listener, are an independently wealthy patron and want to help us in any way, swing by rainbowvalentine.com and send us an email. In the meantime, raise a glass to the downfall of evil. Mwahaha!